0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with each of you today. Also, to those who are joining us online, we are glad that you're worshiping with us today. As we uh, open up the the Word of God today, let me just say that uh, this is the fourth week and the final week in a series we have considered on the vision of our church. And over the last three Sundays, we've considered three of the anchor words that we remind ourselves of frequently. And those words are, worship, grow, and serve. And as we've said, they're not only words that are, that are active verbs that remind us of, uh, of uh, what we are about, but they also help us to understand our identity in Christ. We have seen that we are worshipers, we are growing disciples, and we are servants. That is, that is who we are as uh, the body of Christ as followers of Jesus. And so we, we certainly want to continue thinking upon those three themes. But as Stephanie said, there was a fourth word that, that I uh, alluded to last week. And we had kind of a to be continued moment there at the end of the message, a, uh, a cliffhanger, some might say. And it, it generated quite a bit of discussion. Uh, in fact, in between the two services, I had three different text messages from people who watched online that uh, either had some ideas, uh, maybe some suggestions, some guesses, and so forth, and so it, uh, it was really quite a bit of fun, and uh, right after the late service, I had a little third grade girl meet me up at the front, and she caught me and she said, Pastor Ryan, she said... Uh, we won't be in the service next week because we'll have kids' church. And she looked at me with these big eyes and said, Would you go ahead and tell me the fourth word? <laughs> and I tell you, she was so cute, I almost told her. I, I just about did it. But then I stopped and I kind of whispered over to her. I said, Well, we'll make sure that we get that into the kids' church next Sunday. So they, the kids' church leaders have my sermon notes for today. And uh, you can thank the third-grade girl who uh, who had the foresight to see what was coming next week. Well, we uh, can say today that the suspense has had different effects on different people. In fact, for some it was curiosity, but for others it was torture because I also had a picture that was texted to me after the second service, and I went ahead and thought, I'll just share that with the church. And uh, you can see what it says here, my central nervous system when someone says, I'll tell you later. Uh, Maybe some identify with that feeling when you have to wait for the news. It's been so much fun, hasn't it? I mean, I I even thought about saying, let's just wait a little longer, right? (laughs) But I know that would be dangerous. So here it is. Here it is. Worship, grow, serve, and go. Worship, grow, serve, and go. And this is a, a, uh, a word that obviously comes from the Bible. As Stephanie said, we're going to be looking at that in Matthew chapter 28 in just a minute. Christ told us to go. We are worshipers. We are growing disciples. We are servants. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings. He has told us to go forth, to go and preach the gospel, to go and tell. And so we, uh, we know that this is something that is familiar to us already. But I think that it is a word that hopefully will give us even greater vision and strategic thinking in the days ahead. So with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. And we are going to read uh, near the end of the book of, Mas- of Matthew. We're picking up after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, he appears to his disciples and he gives them a word of instruction. You can see it kind of as final marching orders. And it's not only a word that's given to the disciples, this great commission is also given to you and me. And so Matthew chapter 28, picking up in verse 18. says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was vital. This was important that the disciples understood they had been given a message. They had been given truth. They had been set free from their sins. They had been given new life in Christ. And now he was telling them to go, go into all the world and make disciples. Earlier, Stephanie asked the question, who was it? Who was it that shared the truth with you? Was it a group of people? Was it an individual that had had particular influence in your spiritual development and understanding? Well, that is who we are called to be. We are called to go. We are called to be ambassadors. So this morning, our first point is our mandate is clear. Our mandate is clear. Go, therefore, is indeed a mandate. A mandate is a command. It is a directive. It's not a suggestion. And when we think about the commission, the great commission, we are mindful of who it is that's giving us this mandate. And that, of course is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's made it very clear. He said, go and tell. And notice that the Great Commission, if you look at the words that are, that are given to us in verses 18 through 20, you see words such as go. You see ideas such as make disciples. You see the activity of baptism, of teaching. All of this that gives us uh, uh, initiative to make sure that there are those who are hearing the gospel, that they are being discipled, that they are being nurtured in Christ. Horatius Bonar, a Scottish pastor who lived in the 1800s, wrote a book called Words to Winners of Souls. And he said this He said, The object of the Christian ministry is to convert sinners and to edify the body of Christ. No faithful ministry can possibly rest short of this. Applause, fame, popularity, honor, wealth, all these are vain. If souls are not one, if saints are not matured, our ministry itself is in vain. And I think he is exactly right, that this is a great commission way of thinking, that we are to see sinners converted, the body of Christ edified. And we know that, that there are many ministries working in harmony together through our church that help to fulfill the common goal of seeing people come to faith in Christ, seeing uh, believers uh, nurtured and grown as uh, as they are discipled. But if you you stop and just think about that simple phrase, that responsibility that has been given to us has such importance. What is it like if, if if a sinner is not saved? What is it like if they don't hear the gospel? What is the the alternative for those who, who have not heard the good news? And so we, we see that that mandate is important as we think about global mission work, as we think about the parts of this world that, that, that still do not have a Bible in their own language. We think about the, the uh, ministries such as the Joshua Project that help us identify what is known as unreached people groups. We, we recognize that that is, is so important, and we give towards that. We serve towards that. We, we pack boxes, and we, we, we send uh, the good news of Jesus. Jesus Christ into different parts of the world because of this very commission. That's how urgent it is. Horatius Bonar goes on to say, it's not opinions that people need, it's truth. It's not theology, it is God. It is not religion, it is Christ. And that's the message, that's the message that we have received and the message that we have been commissioned to share Back in 1994, there was a renovation taking place on the Washington Monument in D.C. And there was a piece of marble wainscoting that was being pulled off so that it could be, it could be cleaned and, and restored. And underneath the wainscoting, something had been written. And because that wainscoting had been in place since uh, the 1800s, it had been on there for, for quite some time and uh, there was really some, some graffiti that had been scratched along the side. There was about a, a six-year period where the Washington Monument was under construction, and then it stopped because of the lack of funds, and then it was picked back up again. And so, so historians with the National Park Service think that, that there was something that was put in place. In fact, there is a, a New York Times article, and if you look at the, uh, at the, uh, at the, at the page... Uh, that's kind of, kind of funny there because you see the Motorola flip phone there on the upper left-hand side, don't you? Uh, I think those are making a comeback. Anyway, this was 1994, and you can see in the center of the page the, the white box. I know you can't read it, but the, uh, uh, the title of it is um, Theological Graffiti Found in Monument. Yeah, that's right, Theological Graffiti. So here's, here's what was inscribed underneath that piece of wainscoting. It says this, Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. And this particular person gave their initials, B-F-B. That's how they signed it. No one knows who this was, who wrote this, and you're probably thinking, why is the pastor quoting graffiti in his sermon? Has it really come to this, right? But if you stop and think, think about what this person is experiencing, seeing this bright, beautiful monument under construction, and as good as that monument is and as enduring as it has been, he is saying it is a no comparison when we think about the impact that someone can have upon the eternal destiny of one soul. And that's the consideration that we have today. Each of us have a role in proclaiming the gospel. Each of us can be that human instrument under God. Obviously, He's the one that converts souls. We know that. We know it's God doing the work, but He has chosen even back in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, to communicate that he wants to work through his people today through his church in sharing this good news. The fact is, it's expected of us knowing that the Lord has given a commission, a mandate. It is a clear mandate. Secondly, our message is urgent. Consider for a moment the importance of the great Commission. In fact, just uh, about 10 chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said in verse 3, Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, does that verse just get your attention? If if there's a verse that says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, it's one of those that makes us stop and say, what exactly is he saying? And he gives this word, unless. There is something that can happen unless you turn. Some versions, your version that you're reading might say, unless you are converted. Unless you turn to Christ, turn from sin. Unless you turn to Him, receiving the free gift of salvation, According to Matthew 18, 3, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So can I ask you this morning, church family, do you believe that? Do you believe that only those who are converted will enter the kingdom of heaven? Because if we do believe what Christ says in Matthew 18, then Matthew 28 certainly makes sense to us we want to make sure that we share the good news of the gospel. That we are are recognizing the urgency of the message. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he brought the solution. He brought the rescue. He came to deliver us from the penalty of sin and instead to give eternal life. And that is at the very core and center of our message. Now, Paul, he understood the urgency. In Acts chapter 17, uh, this is on one of his missionary journeys, and he works his way in uh, uh, into Greece, and he comes down to the city of Athens. And he, he, he's sitting there in the area of the Areopagus, and he, he looks over uh, the city from that elevated place, and he sees... All of the idols that have been carved and that have been positioned throughout the Agora area, the city market. And it says in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. He was deeply distressed. It moved him. Because it was, it was a, a recognition that as he looked out over the Athenians, he saw that they were idolaters, and it distressed him. And we know that in this chapter, he, he spoke to them. He spoke to them about their, their philosophy and about their beliefs, and he, he shared the gospel with them. And do you remember what they called him? They called him a, a babbler, didn't they? And they mocked him. But he was faithful. And he was sharing. And it does say in the text that some listened and some wanted to talk more with him. And so we see that Paul, he understood that the message was urgent. Because if it wasn't an urgent message, he would have noted that they were idolaters, that they already had religious beliefs, and it wouldn't have bothered him. He just would have moved right on to the next city where he went, which was Corinth. But it didn't. It it was something that really struck him. And he knew that Christ was deserving To be worshiped and not the idols. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus also understands that the message is urgent. It says in Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, Jesus looked out over the crowds, and yes, there were physical needs. He saw those. He attended to them. This passage even says that that there are cases where where he healed the diseases and the sickness, but he looked beyond that, and he saw that they were distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. And as he saw beyond their spirit, their physical needs, he was seeing the spiritual needs. And I think that that we ourselves, because we are in Christ, we have an opportunity to see through those eyes and to see that that there are people around us as well that are dejected, that are distressed. Particularly particularly the year that we've experienced has brought about even greater distress, greater uncertainty. In fact, the rise of suicides this year has been somewhere on the the count of 30% increase. So there is within our communities and within our world today a lot of people that are dealing with this under, with this idea of being deeply uh, deeply distressed maybe it is depression maybe it's families that are falling apart maybe it's maybe it's loss of of, uh, of 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 job or income there's just been a lot of stressors that have come the bottom line is that without Christ people really are without hope They are just like the people of Matthew 9, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I thought about it this way. There are really two groups of people in this world. There are really two groups of people that live in your neighborhood. There are those who have Jesus as their shepherd, and there are those who don't have him as shepherd. And I know that that makes it very, very simple, a simplified way to think of it, but really that's the case. Either they are in Christ and they have Him as the shepherd, or they do not. And we see that the message that we have is urgent, so that those out there will know that Jesus is there, that He cares for them, that He died for them, that He longs to restore them just as He did in Matthew chapter 9 when He wanted people to come to Him. And he wanted the Lord of the harvest to be working through others to share the message. Here's where it begins. It begins in the heart. Because Jesus had this compassion for the people. And that compassion moved him to action. And so for us as followers of Christ, yes, we want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But we also want to see the gospel at work right here in our own communities. You see, there can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. Earlier this year, I ordered a demographic report on our area just to, to, uh, to, to better understand what is happening here in, in our own community. In fact, the report uh, used data from a 15-minute drive radius from our church, and uh, It's meant to help us get to know our community better, which is why it is named Know Your Community Report, and it's put together by the Revitalized Network, and I'd like to share a few highlights, because I think this is is helpful just to remind us of where God has placed us and who it is that that God has said to you and me, I have commissioned you, I've commissioned Fellowship of Wildwood to be the ones who are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. If you look at the map, you will see the fifteen-minute radius, and you see the blue uh, uh, marker there where our church is located. And you can see that we are in a in a central location. If you go fifteen uh, fifteen-minute drive to the east, you will you will go through Baldwin, just about to where one forty-one is located if you go a 15 minute drive to the south it's it's roughly eureka maybe even close to the pacific area is 15 minutes and uh, if you continue to go to go west you come close to to gray summit and in that area and 15 minutes uh, north uh, would put us uh, into chesterfield not quite to 40 highway if you're driving 15 minutes from this location. Now I realize that we're scattered all throughout that and so our, our opportunities certainly go go beyond this, but but that that gives you a, a picture of where 15 minutes is in terms of drive time from our church. And within that, there are over 82,000 people. 82,000. 82,570 souls that are that are there in that the average household size, 2.7, so lots of, of families in our area. In fact, if you look at the, the next screen, it takes that 82,570 and, and it shows projected growth from 2019 to 2024, and there is a little bit of growth. It's not, the, the, it's, it's not the, the fast growth that I think our area has seen in the past, but there is some projected growth, and we do see in the city of Wildwood that, uh, that a number of subdivisions have been under construction. So it makes you wonder if, if, uh, if this projection is, is as accurate as, as, uh, as it might, might uh, be. But anyway, there is some growth that's happening there. If you look at the next slide, it has the population by generation. And it begins with the, the, uh, uh, the builder generation, the, uh, what's known as the greatest generation, those born 1945 and earlier, 7.6%. In our area. And then you get to the baby boomer uh, population, 40, uh, born between 46 and 64, and that's the largest demographic 25.7%. And then you can continue to, to work your way through the different ones and see the, uh, uh, the fact that we do live in an area where, where uh, there's, there's many different generations uh, that are spread out. But you can see uh, that there's certainly uh, a lot there in the baby boomer. And then you can see the next highest one would be what's considered Generation Z, those born from 1999 to 2016. And so when you think about the implication for kids ministry and student ministry, uh, you see that there are n- a number of young people that are right here within, within our area. And uh, so anyway, I just give that as a, as a sample to you to see that uh, it is important that we have intergenerational ministries and that we're thinking through even uh, for ministry for uh, younger generations. Now, you're probably looking at that one on the end that says 2.8%, and that's generation alpha, born from 2017 to present. So they will catch up, right? I mean, that that demographic will grow in the years ahead, Uh, but you can see that those are uh, some that are very, very young. As we think about the the makeup of our population, in 2019, we have a minority population of 14%. And... uh, uh, we primarily see within the, the, the population by race, we see, uh, uh, we see that this minority population is growing. And that's something that for us as a church to be, to be uh, uh, aware of and to see what, what does that mean for who's moving into the area, into our community, so that we can be better equipped to serve them and to share, God, share the gospel with them. And so as you, as you look at that chart, I know there's not hard numbers there, but I can give you some. Uh, it's roughly, in 2019, 86% there is, the, is, is the number for the bottom of those who are part of a white population. Then the next demographic is Asian, which is 6%. Hispanic is 3%. Black is 2.3%. And then other races, 2. And what's interesting is as you look at the breakdown of data, even as the projection goes from 2019 to 2024, you see that there is an increase in the minority population. If you look at the data from 2019 in comparison to 2010, what you've seen is also we've experienced an increase in the minority population. And so uh, we see this and we understand that this is part of, of who is in our community. How can we as a church, how can we strategically think about reaching those who are in the Asian, Hispanic, and black communities? How can we make sure that we are a church that is welcoming to all? And in some cases may even be thinking about some of the barriers and, uh, and how, we can, how we can overcome barriers as a church to make sure that all are welcome and that we are reaching uh, everyone. And as you think through growing minority populations in our area, we'll see that that is, is a part of what uh, we have been asked as a, as a church uh, by Christ to consider when we think about, about who our neighbors are and how we can best reach them. And it may even mean that there are going to be some needs. Uh, there are some that live in our area that have, that have moved here that, that do not have English as a first language or may not have English as a language at all. And so for them to be growing up and, 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 and living right here in our midst uh, is, is something for us, again, to be able to understand. Over the last few months, I've been a part of a, of a task force of churches in our area uh, made up of, of, of lay leaders and, and a few pastors that are, that are wanting to, to understand how can we as churches recognizing that the body of Christ is ethnically diverse, how can we demonstrate unity to the world around us? How can can churches that are primarily white with churches that are primarily black or, or other ethnicities, how can we be serving together? How can we be an encouragement to one another? Because we recognize, unfortunately, today in America, Sunday morning is one of the most segregated times of the week. When it comes to uh, churches and, and worship experience, and so this task force has been has been uh, looking at ways in which we can uh, come together. I've met some wonderful people. In fact, had lunch this this last week with uh, with a brother in Christ who's part of a of an African American congregation. And uh, wonderful, brother. And I'd, I'd loved for us to get to know them and, and to be able to have opportunities to serve together. We'll see. We'll see how the Lord leads in that. But it, it's important that we, that, we, that we consider those efforts. We've also had an invitation over the course of this last year with, the, the Saint Louis, with one of the, the uh, Chinese Christian churches, St. Louis Chinese Christian Church. Uh, they needed some assistance with student ministry. And so I think going all the way back to maybe February of this year, uh, we've, we've had uh, connectivity with them and with their students, and they've been participating uh, primarily with our student ministry online over the course of uh, the spring and the summer. But nonetheless, there is a, a partnership there that, uh, that we hope will continue. And I, I think that, that as the world cries out for peace and for unity, that the church can and should lead the way in these areas. And so for us to, to be able to look at a, a demographic report like that and say, this is our city, And and this is uh, the opportunity that we have to to consider these individuals to make sure that there's a place for everyone here and that there's an invitation to everyone to experience uh, the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Let me show you one more graph. Again, this is of people in a 15-minute drive. And the question is, how often do they attend religious services? And uh, if you look at that, you see that it's got four shades of, of blue. And the darkest shade, 38%, says rarely attend religious services. That's 38%. The lightest shade of blue is 25%. Attend religious services regularly. But if you take a look at this chart and you look at the four quadrants that, that are represented here, you could take the rarely attend religious services and occasionally and you will you will see that that's more than half that's more than 50%. So as you as you drove in to church today or as you as you tuned in online realize that 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 more than half of those in your neighborhood are not connected to church. They're not they're not they're not attending, they're not participating. In worship, And so that, that tells us that, that what Jesus said in Matthew 9 is, is what He still communicates to us today. The harvest is, is plentiful. There are, there are so many that, 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 that have still not yet placed faith in Him. And we know that these numbers were even uh, developed before COVID. And you wonder, what has happened during COVID to even those who had been connected. And I, I know that there are there are many, I'm sure, that are still as regularly con- connecting as much as they can online and, and through Zoom uh, group, uh, classes and groups and so forth, but but I think what we'll see when we get to the other, other side is that there there could be many that at one time were connected but have but have fallen out of that, that type of fellowship. And so it's going to be even more incumbent upon us uh, to consider how we can reach those around us, uh, and even those who may have been connected at one point. So it it, it asks and begs the question, uh, as we think about wanting to connect with people in our community, what, what are their needs? What are ways in which we can come alongside and, and serve them, that we can get to know them? And when the pandemic began in March, I, I called the mayor of of Wildwood. Or I contacted him. His name is Jim Boland. He'd been I'd met him before at one of our events that he attended. And I reached out and said, you know, we as the fellowship of Wildwood members would want to be a resource to the city, a resource to you if there are needs that that come up during this time. And and he replied back and, and thanked me for the for the offer and then and then uh, uh, a little while later he contacted me again and said that that the that the City Council of Wildwood was was concerned that there may be uh, gaps in the way citizens are being served and cared for, and they recognize that there are a lot of of, uh, of uh, community uh, programs as they as they call it uh, to to meet needs of the citizens and Some of those programs come through businesses or through nonprofits through churches uh, through other ways, but they had not really ever taken an inventory, and so they have put together a community outreach task force and it's made up of some city council members and some citizens and they they asked if I would serve on that and we've had we've had two meetings so far and it's been uh, a blessing to me to get to know some people that are that are part of the uh, the city government part of the city council also uh, other citizens here in Wildwood as we talk through and we discover what, what are some, some needs that are being met. Where, where is duplication happening? Where are some needs that, that we are discovering that are not being met by anyone? And that's, that's really the second goal of the task force. The first one is just to, 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 to try to assemble a list so that residents here can know what's available to them. But then the second part is to say, well, where are the gaps? Where are the needs that are not being met? And, and I'm really interested in that second one. You know why? Why? Because I think that's part of what we're called to be about here at Fellowship of Wildwood, is, is hearing what those needs are and responding and bringing resources and showing actively the love of Jesus Christ to our community. So, so this is going to be an ongoing uh, task force, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. I'll certainly be keeping uh, the church family apprised as, as information comes up that, that, uh, that will affect us and that we can be a part of. But as we think about our vision and our strategy... We think about about these words, uh, worship, grow, serve, and go. We want to to, to be able to look at our ministries, to evaluate them, to make sure that that we are aligned uh, according to our vision, to our strategy. And I think that when it comes to the word go, it's going to be helpful because for many years we've 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 assumed that 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 word serve also is is communicating evangelism. It's communicating that we're that we're taking the gospel. But I, I think that the argument has been made, could be made, that there are ways in which we can serve, in which we can care for others that are not necessarily Great Commission Evangelism. And so by being able to add that fourth word, it just gives greater clarity and focus to make sure that in going forward, we as Fellowship of Wildwood value and understand the call, the mandate, the commission that Christ has given to us. Our missions ministry has put together some information that you'll receive next Sunday. It highlights our mission engagement locally within the United States and abroad but we also want to be thinking locally. And as you know, we've had some increased opportunities uh, even over the last three months with the planting of a new church on the campus of Missouri Baptist University called College Park Church. Uh, the Cox and Leonard families establishing this church, but other members of fellowship coming alongside and, and uh, leading and assisting in that effort. And so we, we certainly recognize that that is, is one, uh, uh, one way that we can see the community reached. Next week, we're going to continue the focus uh, on, on what's happening locally as I've invited uh, Darren Casper uh, to come and speak to our congregation. He is uh, the executive director of the Metro Association, the St. Louis Metro Association. All of the, the sister Southern Baptist churches in our whole metro are in one association, and, and he is the executive director. He has uh, uh, followed Jim Breeden, who many of you all know, he, he uh, uh, resigned earlier in the year. And Darren Casper has, has been a, a longtime staff member there and has assumed the leadership role. And so uh, uh, we will uh, really be happy to have Darren uh, with us to be able to help us see even right here in our community, right here in our county, what is happening uh, to, uh, uh, to share the, the good news of Jesus Christ. It'll be very helpful for us even as we continue to think about this word, go, and uh, understand the urgency that we need uh, right here for those within our, within our neighborhoods. Well, we've seen that the mandate is clear, the message is urgent, but I want to say finally, number three, our lives, our missional life is the key. Now, you may be familiar with the word missional, it's not the same as mission-minded, uh, it's not bad to be mission-minded. We want to, to, to have a mission mindset, but the word missional is, is a little different than that. If you were to say that someone has an adversarial life, you would say that they are someone who is, who is like an adversary, right? Well, if someone has a missional life, they are someone who is like a missionary. To think of the identity that I am on mission you are on mission. Christ has placed us in where we live, where we work, where we go to school. He's placed us in these cities and communities so that we can be the missionaries, that we can be living a missional life uh, towards those who are around us. Again, this great commission is being given to each of us. And we all have the opportunity and the privilege to be considered an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I want to close our time by asking you a question. And Stephanie asked it at the very beginning of of our worship service today. So you've had plenty of time to think about it. Who was it, or how did you primarily become influenced to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Let me give you six options. Was it an evangelistic crusade? Was it through a church program? Was it through a Sunday school class? Was it by walking in off the street? You saw a church somewhere and you just walked right in. Was it through a pastor's ministry? Or was it through a relative or a friend? I want you to think about those. And we'll go back to them again. And I'd like you to raise your hand. I know that we're limited because we have probably as many people watching online as we have uh, here with us today. But why don't we, just for the, the sake of, of understanding... Uh, Where this leads, why don't we look around and see how many would say it was an evangelistic crusade? Okay, I do see a few hands, three or four. All right, how many would say it was through a church program? Okay, again, probably about five. How many would say through a Sunday school class? Okay, how many would say that you walked off the street, just walked right into the church? Okay, there is someone. How many would say through the pastor's ministry? Okay, I'll come back next week then. <laughs> how many would say through a friend or a relative? All right, take a look around and see that. Here's how, the, here's how these break down in terms of a survey that was done through the North American Mission Board. Evangelistic crusades or revivals, those who are introduced those who are followers of Christ, 1% would say that's how they came. Through churches' programs, 4%. Through a Sunday school class, 4%. Walking in off the street, 5%. Through the pastor's ministry, 8%. Through a friend or a relative, 76%. These statistics reinforce what the Bible has told us all along. The Great Commission is for each and every one of us. It's not just for those who have been trained as pastors, trained as missionaries, trained as church program leaders, trained to to, to lead evangelistic revivals and crusades. All of those have their place. All of those are necessary. We understand that. But when it comes to seeing people reached for Jesus Christ, three out of four will come through your witness. It'll come through, through you knowing them, them knowing you, them trusting you, them engaging in dialogue with you. That's where it happens. We know that because we've primarily experienced it that way. And we see that Jesus has called all of us, all of us to his commission. And we know that each of us are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within. Well, as we conclude, let's remember We are not alone in fulfilling this great commission. In verse 20, Jesus said, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And isn't that great to hear? To know that He is with us, that He is at work, that it's His Spirit that draws, that convicts, that converts. But for whatever reason, it has has been His pleasure to work through His people. But He doesn't leave us alone. is there with us. So may we have courage. May May we look at the world around us with the urgency that he has. And may, by God's grace, we see people continue to come to know him as Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us very clear instruction. And God, we thank you for this instruction because it is part of the reason why we ourselves have heard the good news. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for those who you used to to be an influence to us, those who cared enough to walk alongside, to answer our questions, to share the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for those. And now we pray that that you would once again encourage us to be that for others, to be those people, to be that church that indeed would be a lighthouse, that would indeed be concern for those right here in our city, in our county, in this part of the world. Father, give us that burden when we think that, that more than half of the people that we encounter are not in all likelihood, following you. Half who don't have you at the center of their lives. Half that don't have Jesus as their shepherd, guiding them, caring for them. Father, may you increase a burden within us. And as we look at the world around us and we see the times in which we live in, we know that these are urgent times, desperate times. I pray that that the message of the gospel will go through your church. May we be faithful today and in the days ahead. Lord, we pray that you will help us to worship, to grow, to serve, and to go. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, amen.